0: Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called.
1: Almost forgot my Bible. Would have been a bad thing. We, uh, we we come to this point in the in the service, and as I listened to the songs, and as I thought about some of the some of the situations, I, I was challenged that maybe maybe the perspectives we need to gain here today are are maybe no more timely than they could be. I mean, maybe maybe this is really a providential moment. For many of you, just as, as as you consider the situations of your life, we are in this transitional passage of Scripture uh, just as we were last week where in the first half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in the first three chapters, he has been teaching doctrine and giving, giving, um, giving us a perspective of God's work. And he closes that doctrinal portion out of the letter with this prayer that, that we didn't read this morning, but that says that he... He pleads with God that we might experience His power, the the overwhelming and and the immeasurable power that He has for us, but not just that, that we might know His immeasurable and, and, and the Fullness, the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of His amazing and powerful love. And then He closes that prayer, uh, the, the doctrinal section of, of His letter, He closes that prayer with this, this, this two verses, these, these phrases that move us from this point where we're learning doctrine to uh, the, the tone and, and perspective of the letter changes. And He's calling us now to bring glory to this One who has done this work. But that's difficult. And I think about the circumstances and situations in the lives of many of you in this room, and, and, and there's not just one of you. Several of you that I know specific circumstances where you are where, where you are struggling, where you are uncertain of your standing or your position or your or, or your location where you're, where, you're, where you're feeling the weight and the hurt of this life. And there's some of you that may not be in the midst of it in this moment, but that within recent weeks and months of, of this moment, you have experienced it. And, and Paul, and Paul, in, in this moment, knowing this, no, he's, he's not writing. To, he's not writing to statues, and he's not writing to people with not, without feelings, and he's not writing to people without needs. In this moment, he doesn't say, "Now focus on your hurts and your troubles and glorify him anyway." He simply says, "All glory be to God." I, therefore, a prisoner one who's suffering, one who's hurting, one who knows the struggles of life, I therefore, a prisoner, urge you to live worthy of the call. This this transition doesn't deny our circumstance, it doesn't ignore our circumstance or the situations of our life, but calls us in spite of them in spite of how difficult it might look, how uncertain our footing seems, remember we stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. You cannot be undone. There is no moment, no circumstance, No difficulty, no trial. No darkness. No situation. Nothing in this world separates you from this truth. God loves you. He sent His Son and suffered for you. Now He calls you. Live worthy of that. In this transition, in, this, in, this, in the midst of this, it, 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 there's a summary, and I just want to give you this. I want, I want this to be something that you, you repeat to yourself, that, that you encourage yourself with, that, that becomes something more than just a slogan. Like, like I said last week, this is not just a slogan. This is something that de, to define who we are. And it's a summary of this transitional phrasing and this transitional period in Paul's letter. Because of the Gospel, Live like you are worth it for Jesus' fame. When it's good, live like you're worth it. When it's bad, live like you're worth it. When you're uncertain, live like you're worth it. When you have questions, when, when, when you, you, you think there's no answers, when, when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, because of the Gospel, live like you're worth it for Jesus' This is, this is a summary. It doesn't give us all the detail. It doesn't give us all the, the the insight. But the message, the essence of the message, is there because of the gospel. This is that therefore that Paul uses. He says, "I therefore." In four one, he says, "I therefore," because of the gospel. He's not pointing back to just the last phrases of ephesians chapter 3 he's looking at all that he's told you in these first three chapters all that he said to you because god chose you and predestined you and adopted you because god forgave your sin and redeemed you with the shed blood of his only son jesus christ because god saved you from his wrath and gave you eternal life because god brought you close and made you a part of his household because god has lavished on you the abundance of his grace Exercised his immeasurably great power on your behalf and given you a hope and an inheritance to look forward to because of these things, because of the gospel, because of his gracious rebellion on your behalf to overcome your sin and your shame and the struggles that we exist, that we exist in because of our sin, because of this, because of these actions, he says now, act like it. Act like it. We know it's true. Or at least we're professing it's true if we're professing believers in Jesus Christ. Act like it. Act like one chosen, predestined, and adopted. Act like one who knows that God is sovereign. Act like someone whose sin has been forgiven and who understands the price that was paid for that sin. I doubt you I doubt any of us get it fully. But imagine a creator who had every right to walk away to just let it fall apart. Imagine a creator who decided not to trash it, but to come and suffer for it. He knows, He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. He took that on for you. Act like someone who understands that price paid. Act like someone who's no longer condemned but has something, uh, has nothing but God's goodness. Everything. Every moment of your life as one chosen, predestined, and adopted by God. Every moment of your life, even those moments when you were rebelling, when you were cursing Him, when you were running from Him, even those moments He had your good in mind. He was watching over your path from before you even realized it and recognized it. You have been His. And in this moment, In this very moment, He is here already waiting for you. And in the One to come, He's already equipping you and reminding you and preparing you. Act like it. Act like someone who walks in relationship with the Creator. Act like someone who's a part of His family. Act like someone who's been given something they don't deserve. His gift, His gift outshines everything. Until we make the thing that hurts us or causes confusion or frustration or anger, until we make that thing more important than the gifts He's already given us, His will always outshine. And it's just a matter of us changing our perspective in the middle of the struggle and the trial and the problems of life and looking again at what He's done. Reminding ourselves, remembering, acting now like someone who's been given something they don't deserve, who has accomplished some miraculous feat with a power beyond themselves, who has a recognition Act like someone who has a recognition that they have more wealth than Bill Gates. Because you, brothers and sisters, are rich. Beyond measure. Beyond compare. Act like it. That's the very call of this passage. But, but it's not act like it so that it makes it true. Don't prove your worth. Don't strive to impress others to prove that you're worthy. Paul doesn't call us to be worthy. He knows something that we need to learn. We will never be worthy. But he does tell us to live in a manner that is worthy. See, the motive though is, it goes back to the end of chapter three. The motive of Paul in these last four, or these last three chapters of Ephesians is God's glory. It's Jesus' fame. So come acting like you have been changed, acting like you really believe the things that you say you believe, not to prove your worth, not because you're worthy, but because you want to see Jesus worshiped. You want to see Jesus famous that we won't ever come to a place in our lives listen we won't ever 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 come to a place in our life even when we get to heaven where we can walk up to jesus and tell him i finally did it i finally paid you back i finally deserve to be here and if you believe in some teaching that tells you you will finally measure up you are in contradiction to the scriptures You and I will never be worthy. That's why we talk about His grace. It is an act of grace because we don't deserve it. That's what grace is. His unmerited good on our behalf. We didn't deserve it. We can't earn it. We'll never be able to pay it back. It will always be grace no matter how hard you try. You and I, brothers and sisters, you and I, saints, you and I, Will never actually be worthy of our Creator becoming our Savior. As I wrote that line, I'm not trying to don't don't compliment me on this, please. But I'm telling you, that's profound. You and I will never be worthy of our Creator, the one in whom we owe everything, the one in whom our identity finds its root, the one in whom. Everything about us and every circumstance and situation of our lives is defined. We will never be worthy of our Creator stepping into the role of our Savior. It's not going to happen. It's grace. Act like someone who has received that grace. that something that they don't deserve. Act like it. See, it took His power. We, 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 we stand in this place as Christians, as a people... Who reside in a power that's not our own. We're like the little wimpy, nerdy guy with the arms like twigs and the and the legs like smaller twigs. That walks up to Robert Anderson's, or Paul Anderson, I'm sorry. Paul Anderson's record, record breaking back lift of 6,720 pounds. Most weight ever lifted by a human. 6,720 pounds. Imagine doing that. We're the wimpy little nerdy twig-limbed person that stands and curls him as if it's nothing. Not because it's in us, but because God has exercised His immeasurable power on your behalf. It's in His power, life has been placed where death resided. Can you do that? In His power, He took His Son's righteousness and He gave you as a generous gift. He took your wickedness and nailed it to the cross with His Son. See, in His power, the circumstances that we live in in this moment don't define our eternity. They don't define who He is or what He's doing in your life In His power, He even takes the worst moment of your life, the deepest, darkest hole that you've been in, and He uses it for your good. That's power, brothers, sisters. Saints of God. Power. All that we have been given belongs to someone else. It's a generous gift. It is is a gift. <laughs> that with such great generosity was bestowed on us. I love the language from Ephesians because it talks about His immeasurable power. His, his abundant grace lavished upon you. He talks these high, uses these high and lofty perspectives and, 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 and words that, that draw us to a place that, that Tim Keller says it gives us nosebleeds because it's so high and so lofty. And He's bestowed it on you. He said it's yours. Act like it. See, now, now, what what that means is our lives should make His love, His grace, His power, His provision evident. When you and I, not just sitting in this room, but walking in the world, and not just walking in the world because we often talk about how we're supposed to live in the world, but in the midst of His people. Among His people, His love, His grace, His power, His provision should be evident in our lives. Right here and in the world around us. Because of the Gospel, live like you're worth it for Jesus' fame. This is just not a summary of Ephesians. This is really the summary of of the whole of Christian life. It, it's, it's the summary of what the rest of our life should look like. But that's, that's, that's big. In, in fact, in my mind, as I read that, I was like, wow, what does that look like? It's great to sit here and talk about it, right, in, in non-practical terms, and in, non, in, 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 in just general terms. Be worthy. Act like you're worthy. But Paul doesn't leave us there, does he? In fact, with the remainder of our time, we're not just going to look at this summary of what he calls us to. We're going to look at some principles that will really guide us as we look at the rest of the chapter, or at the rest of the, the, the letter of Ephesians. From, from here till the time we finish, these principles will kind of guide us and help us understand what he's calling us to. He gives us instruction, specific instruction, and some of it more specific than maybe we want to hear. But it's given But these principles will help us keep it in context. Because in the weeks to come, we're going to deal with some things, and we're going to say, don't do this. But we're never going to say, don't do this so Jesus will love you. We're going to say, don't do this because we're called to live worthy of the call for Jesus' fame. So living worthy, what is it? How do we do it? What's the principles that we need to understand as we strive to to, to put specifics to it. Live worthy. It's a distinctly Christian call. Distinctly Christian. Something I think we're really good at today as Christians. I, and and I, I think everywhere you look you can see this. I, I think that it's probably in every church. It's, there, there's there's no, no, no no group of people who are exempt from this. No group of Christians who are exempt from this. No local church who doesn't have some people who, who think this way. But we're really good At expecting others to do the very thing we've been called to do. And some of those others we're expecting to live up to God's call are people who have never met God's call. See, we're really good at casting our votes and striving to make our America very, very, uh, righteous. Hey, we live in a country where you have that right and I would expect you to. Vote your conscience. Honor Jesus however you're voting. I'm not going to walk into a booth with you and tell you that's the right vote, but I'm going to tell you however you're voting, you need to be able to lay lay your head on the pillow that night and know that you've honored Jesus with with that vote. That's the reality of it. But in some way, we have begun to think that that makes people better. And we think if we can just get people to act this way, we'll be all right. Because it'll make our lives easier, right? I mean, if we don't have to deal with sinful people and they just all act like good Christian people, then it'll be a much better place to live. I had a friend that I used to know, I used to work with. In his mind, if he could get the people that we worked together with, if he could get them to to just quit doing bad things, we'd have a good place to work. So one of the things that he did was he put a cuss jar on his desk. And if anybody said a cuss word in in his presence, he expected them to put a 25 a quarter or 50 cents maybe was, I don't I don't remember the amount I just remember there was an expectation and 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 I confronted him about it and I was like you know this is asking non-christian people to act like you think christians should act because most of the people I worked with he and I worked with they were not christian they were obviously not christian And, 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 what he did shocked me. It surprised me because he didn't say, oh yeah, you know what, you're right. It's the gospel that makes us righteous and enables us to, to live a righteous lifestyle. He pulled out a Bible verse and he said, look, if, if, read this verse and he took this verse out of context and I don't even remember where it was, something in the Psalms, but basically it was, you're helping. It, 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 he was trying to prove the point that he was helping them be loved by Jesus if he got them acting the right way. I just, to be honest, that made me want to cuss. I was ready to. I was ready to just to start cussing, just cuss. Well, what he was missing was that that kind of thing never works. Never works. And honestly, it didn't last. Because people just thought it was funny. And so they cussed in front of him on purpose. And you know how much money went into the cuss jar? Not much. He might have been able to buy a soda once in a while. But his people were just teasing. They made a mockery out of it. It never works. It, 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 there, there's an order here in this passage. There's an order that matters. Paul didn't write the commands and instructions of chapters 4 through 6 and then come to the transitional phrase and say, Therefore... If, if you do all of these things, if you live worthy of the call, if, if you don't cuss, if you, if, or if you don't have sexual morality, if you don't speak horribly, if, if you don't do these things, therefore Jesus will love you. That is not how this letter goes. That's not how this letter flows. The order is absolutely important. Ephesians 4 doesn't come before Ephesians 1 through 3, making Ephesians 4 the truth and Ephesians 1 through 3 dependent upon that. Ephesians 1 through 3 is stated clearly concisely it's 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 prove it's demonstrated it's 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 it's, it's uh it, it's just how oh, i don't know how he i i want to i want to use such big language in my mind it doesn't have language big enough to talk about what he did i think back to those first moments as we were looking at it and the, this waterfall of worship this this un unmeasurable unequal uh, a statement of God's grace and His power and glory. There's, there's, there's very few places where so much has been written in so few words. It's power and provision. It's hope and joy. And it's, it's grace and mercy all wrapped up into these words. And Paul is so moved by them. And then he comes to this place. Then he says, because this is true, do this. Putting the cart before the horse never works. You'll never go anywhere. And it's not just about order. We can't go to somebody and say, "Here's Ephesians chapter four through six. Read those and measure up." That's dangerous, brothers and sisters. It it, it is. It's the. It's the. It's the stamp of approval on the condemnation of their life when we give people a law to follow and no grace to to, to stand in, when we say, you got to do this if you're going to be acceptable, all we've done is lead them to hell. The Pharisees tried it and Jesus condemned them. I, I don't want that spoken of the people I know who don't know Jesus. I'd rather them not be whitewashed tombs because I'd rather them be in a place where they recognize the absolute need for a Savior. Listen to me. I'm going to I'm gonna shock maybe some of you. But if you're a non-believer and you're here today, if you're sitting in this room and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm not asking you to live worthy of any call. I don't expect you to quit getting drunk I don't expect you to to quit acting in sexual immorality, whether it's by yourself with someone of the same sex or someone of the opposite sex. I, I, I don't expect it. I don't expect you to engage in worship of the one true God. But don't mistake this lack of expectation with the idea that there's nothing here for you. You see, the reality is is that those things in your life, as you look at God's expectations of His people, you should be able to see a distinct difference between who you are and who He's called us to be. And what that should do is put you in a place where you recognize you are a sinner you are deserving of His wrath and you are deserving of hell. But listen, don't forget what Ephesians 1-3 through says is that that's not what He wants. He sent His Son to die in your place for your sin so that you didn't have to have that, but that you would have the real opportunity to simply believe that He did it and receive all of His blessings. You see, if you're sitting here as a non-believer, I'm not asking you to live up to some standard. But I'm hoping that you'll measure your life in light of His grace. And you'll recognize that you need to turn from your sin and lean into the cross. Trust Him for your salvation. And until, until you've come to that place, until you've trusted in Him, this call doesn't belong to you. It is distinctly Christian. It is for the believer. Once you believe, with all the saints here, the expectation is yours. But let me just encourage you with this. We're never going to expect you to have it all done tomorrow. This is the rest of your life. As Paul wrote these words, he was not writing to people who had it all together. He was giving this instruction because they needed to hear it because they needed just like the rest of us they needed to know how to apply their faith i trust jesus now this is what i'm going to do in light of that live worthy it's a distinctly christian call the second one live worthy it's the call no matter what the cost paul was a prisoner he was he was in chains for this We've done this before. I wasn't going to do this today, but as I prayed this morning, I felt like we should do it. Um, I want you. To, I want you to do something with me. And, and I didn't bring the verses. I didn't put them on the screen because I want you to do this with me. I want you to turn over to Second Corinthians.
0: Second
1: <clears throat> Corinthians, chapter eleven, and I want you to look at verses twenty-three through thirty-three. whether it's on a phone, whether it's actually in a Bible, I mean, you know, there's no telling how we're carrying the scriptures with us today. Whatever you're carrying with you today, I want you to open it up. I want you to look at this passage. And Paul, this is not really the point of the passage, but it's going to illustrate my point. Paul is, Paul is, is, is basically being sarcastic and he's, he's demonstrating all of these things that he could boast in. But in verse 23, he says, are are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. That's 39 lashes. And I don't care if you subtract one or not. 39 probably stinks, right? I don't want to get 38. Do you? Probably not. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And I'm not talking about the little river rock that we have in our flower beds out in the, out in front of the church. I'm talking about stones where they take up your whole hand. They may be bigger than a baseball. They may look like a softball, but they're a whole lot harder. And when they hit you, they hurt. In fact, when he got stoned, he was left from, for dead. They, they, they stoned him. I'm sure he's covered up with a pile of rocks. Stones. And they walk back into the city because they think he's dead. And like this moment you see in a movie where the hand, poof, I'm alive! That's Paul. I got stoned for it. <clears throat> Countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day, and I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers. This is, this is so funny to me. I was in danger from rivers. You ever been in danger from a river? That's the danger that comes at the expense. I mean, God's the one in control of rivers, right? But I'm in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Are you seeing the the you seeing the the pattern? Danger is dangerous. He was at risk. And while he's writing these words, these words to live worthy of the call to live for Jesus' fame, he is sitting in jail. Do it. Live it. Despite the cost. He goes on. I, I won't finish it, but what I want you to do is I want you to take some. I want you to highlight it, underline Whatever you do on the device or the paper that you got in front of you, I want you to highlight that. Because there is none of us, I don't think any of us sitting in this room that have experienced the struggle and trial and problem that Paul faced as he pursued Christ. And the next time you're in the midst of it, I want you to remember this. But I don't want you to stop there. See, I want you to flip over to, to really where he comes to the culmination of why He's doing what He's doing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9-10, I want you to highlight this too. Where He says, My grace... But He said to me, this is God's answer to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. When was the last time you felt content? I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, the call to live worthy is a call, no matter what the cost, no matter how difficult the road looks ahead of you, no matter how difficult the circumstance you reside in in this moment, no matter how difficult your past has been, live worthy, in spite of the cost. It's 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 difficult, but the reality is when we recognize, when we understand the first three chapters of of Ephesians. And then we turn around and we wallow in self-pity and guilt. And hear me, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm being direct, but I want you to know this is not to to make you feel worse, but to challenge you with the truth. When we wallow in our hurt and self-pity, not that there's not a time of mourning, but we shouldn't mourn as the Gentiles do. When we wallow in it, and when we when we get dissatisfied with the circumstances that we live in when we when we're so frustrated with the here and now that all we can think about is what is next we're actually denying that God's good now we're actually denying the truth of Ephesians 1 through 3 specifically verses like the first chapter verse 3 where he says blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You see, the reality is, it's like this, when when we're in this place of pity and and frustration and anger, and, and and we're needlessly wallowing in this pity of ourselves, we're basically telling God He's failed to give us something to live the life He's called us to live. Let me just ask you to think of that. How has God failed you? What did He fail to give you? To be the person you are called to be whatever situation you face in this moment. Let me, let me assure you, brothers and sisters, Ephesians 1-3 through tells us He has not failed to give you anything. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms and the only reason we struggle is because we try to define the spiritual based on the physical rather than defining our physical perspective based on the spiritual this only is important when we get this with god right first and then in light of him this begins to dim you know that song Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I'm not telling you they won't be difficult. I'm not telling you that there won't be times of mourning and sadness. There certainly will there will be calamity there will be danger there will be trial and there will be struggle but his grace his glory that shines it all all we got to do is get our get our focus right get our perspective right get our attitude right to to act like people who have been given all that we've been given to live being worthy it's the the call no matter what the cost living worthy is measured by our character not our resume and you, you wouldn't believe how many how many people come to me and tell me all they're capable of doing and all that they've done I, I hear it a lot especially because we're in a we're in a network and I'm involved with uh, uh, um, assessing church planners these young guys come in and they've got all of this ambition and it's all about what they can do. Man, there's nothing wrong with godly ambition. But I'm going to tell you, if your godly ambition, if your ambition outshines your character, your ambition's probably not godly. You get that? You see, Paul doesn't come here and say, how many people have you led to Jesus. He doesn't say how many you live worthy so that we can count the number of people that you baptize or the number of churches that you start or the number of people and Bible studies that you take part in. He doesn't say come and show me your list of accomplishments. He says come and live worthy and that's measured by your character. He says humility be humble. You know what it is to be humble? It's not to think less of yourself. C.S. Lewis says not to think less of yourself but think less yourself. Not to think less of yourself, but think of yourself less. See, the idea is that humility is about us recognizing our proper standing with God, our proper position in the created order, and recognizing that as we look to our left and our right, that there is no one else less worthy than we are. Arrogance is all about puffing ourselves up and presenting our opinions as more worthy. And denying others their right to an opinion. Arrogance is about making sure that you shine over others. Arrogance is about making sure that you get your way while others have to give up what they want. Arrogance is all self-centered. Humility puts us in a place where we recognize that it's God's will to be done, not ours. It's God's opinion that matters, not ours, and that our value, like everyone else, is intrinsically tied up in His perspective and His love. He calls us to be gentle and meek. Or he, it says gentle here, but the but the word in the Greek could also be translated meek. What that is is power under control. Let me explain that to you. you see, we, we think of meekness as and gentleness as something that is um, a weakness. Because who wants to be a doormat, right? Man, when somebody does something wrong to you, you you owe it to yourself to get revenge. Meekness, gentleness is having the power to do that, but not exercising it. The wind is said to be gentle or meek. It can cause great destruction, but when a gentle breeze blows, it's under control, right? jesus was said to be gentle or meek he had the infinite the the immeasurable great power of god could have destroyed it all in a moment could have called the angels down and and crushed us in a second in the blink of an eye at the word of his mouth it could have happened but under control it was exercised with gentleness. It was, it was re- returned with grace and mercy. You see, meekness is about, is, is about us accepting a wrong and returning grace and returning mercy. It's taking power that we have to, to seek revenge, to exact revenge, and saying, I'm going to control that. I'm going to take hold of that. And when I respond, grace, mercy, Love. It's the call. The character that God works out in us. And He doesn't just work it out in us. He calls us to it. He doesn't just say gentle and meek. And He doesn't just say humble. He says patient. Well, I can wait. I've learned to wait. My wife will tell you she waits on me all the time. But that's not the word. See, I, I, I really like the King James translation of this better because they make a distinction between patience in the sense that we're waiting and and long-suffering. The Greek word here is pointed at people. There's a different Greek word. Macrothumio is the Greek word that's listed here. King James uh, interprets it long-suffering, and it is pointed at people. There's a hoopum. I'm going to say it wrong. It doesn't matter. There's another Greek word for uh, circumstances and waiting. There's a whole other Greek word to say that. We don't get it in our our English language because patience, well, I can wait. No, this is suffering along with people. Putting up with their junk. Putting up with all the difficulties it is to live in relationship. To live worthy of this call is to have this character humility and meekness and patience and it's, it's it's the it's the patience that jesus and god has looked on us with the suffering long with us consider what god has put up with you well wait a minute i don't really want to do that what he's calling you to and love not just a simple emotion of love though the word is agape It's that sacrificial, beneficial love for someone else's good, not yourself. It's the act of, I'm not waiting around, I'm going to get busy doing this, not because they did something, but because I just want to give it to them. This is how we know what love is. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love, agape, is. Christ laid down His life for us. And this we ought also do for our brothers. So how do we know what love is? Not by what Jesus said, but by what Jesus said. Did it's that active, sacrificial, beneficial action on someone else's behalf. And then he uses a word eager. This is the ambition piece. This is about someone who has a sense of urgency, who's not procrastinating, who's not putting it off. Well, you know, I really feel like I feel like playing some video games right now. I'd really rather watch a movie. I'd rather go hang out at the club. I've got something more important to do. Eager. Sense of urgency. Diligent to accomplish a task. But look, he defines that task. He doesn't just say, oh, it's a person who has ambition. Eager to what? Eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know who this is? Who these character traits define? Jesus. Jesus. That's who He was. That's His character. And how Paul is telling us that our character should mirror that of His. Our character should be defined in the same way as His. That's what it looks like to live worthy of the call. I think when we get that piece right, the accomplishments will come. But until we get that piece right, all that we accomplish is no different than the many, 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 many people who accomplish many great things in their own name. Go and do. And live worthy of the call for Jesus' fame. And that leads us into our, the last point. Live worthy worthy, if you're trying to do it by yourself, you're not doing it. You'll never do it. You cannot be a Christian by yourself. It's not going to happen. Did you hear those words that were read? The, the character traits, humble demands community. Meek, gentle demands community. Community. Long-suffering, patient with people, demands community. Loving, you can't love if you don't have people to love. Eager to maintain unity, how do you do that by yourself? How do you bear with one another in love if you don't have one another to bear with? You know, it's really interesting. Words like this were written. Paul knew how difficult it was to maintain Christian relationship because how broken we are, right? Right? Because the reality is is everyone in this room, whether you want to admit it out loud and and you may get mad at me for saying this, every one of us fight our own securities and really we want our own way. Own it. Be okay with it for just a minute. Because it's the truth. Your flesh demands this of you. But the Spirit of God alive in you empowers you to do something different. And now He tells us That together, listen, I'm going to read it again because it's been a little bit since we read the whole passage. Together, in beginning in verse 4, in one body, one spirit, as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, not of you, of all. You know who the all includes? The Christians sitting in this room. The Christians in the church building down the street. The Christian who is frustrated, uh, because they are, um, bothered by something going on in their life and they didn't go to church this morning. The, the Christians that, that are, are in, uh, denominations that don't agree theologically with ours. The Christians that live in Missouri at large in, uh, the Christians who, in a, a world away from us, whose methodology and worship looks radically different than ours. Wait a minute. The Christians whose worship in our very city, whose methodology and practice of worship looks radically different than ours. But it's still directed to this one God and Father of all. Look, we don't have it all right. You don't have it all right we were never meant to be by ourselves in this. So as a people, as a church, if, if, if we begin demeaning churches, the bride of Christ, because we don't like the things that they say or like the songs that they sing or even like some of their secondary doctrinal positions, as long as we're together in the essentials, the, one, the ones of this passage, as long as we're together in these things, humility, meekness, Love, eagerness to, to work together and, and to, to fight for this unity. To be this people of God. You see, because what's happening when we are brought together in this way, as we are united together, we are divided from the world. Do you know where your first, foremost primary efforts for this worthy life should be? What does he say in this passage? Eager to maintain unity. We owe our best to God. and He's asking us to give it first to His people. So if you don't have Christian friends, you're not living worthy of the call. If you'd rather be around non-believers, there's something missing something that you're not believing, some some other gospel that you've accepted. I'm not saying that you're not called to be around non-believers, but your primary efforts should start in the church among His people, eager to fight for unity, eager to be loving and humble and meek and to bear the weight of loving one another. And trust me, I like you. I love you. Sometimes that's not easy to do. And the reality is I know the true, The same is true about me. I hope you like me. I want you to love me. But I know sometimes that's not easy. That's the call. That's the worthy life. And as we go through the rest of these pages, there's not one of them that it, we're called to do to earn our value before God. There's not one of them that we're called to do only when it feels comfortable. There's not one of them that we're called to do that, that will, that, that, that will outshine the character, the work of His character building in us. There's not one of these that we will be asked to do by ourselves. We aren't equipped for that. We aren't gifted to that. We aren't able to do that. We need one another to fill this call to live worthy because of the gospel for Jesus' name. Let's pray. God, you're good. Your grace so rich and abundant. Your strength, your power is immeasurable. Your mercy is 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 incomparable. Your love high as the heavens and as deep as the seas and as broad as the east is from the west. God, thank You for giving us those. Thank You. Thank You for for with holding your wrath and condemnation how would you would you help us you help us move us? Don't, don't just give us emotion but but change our hearts in this moment that we might walk in a manner worthy of the work you've done on our behalf
0: And I ask it in Jesus name. Amen.